Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, for two weeks now, we have been able to gather in this place. It's a bit different, but it's nice. Yet for around two months now, we've had quite a bit of idle time. Time to actually be with family. Time to actually work on the projects we're normally too busy or too tired to do. Time to read a book. Time to breathe. It is nice to have some idle time. I mean, God does command us to rest. He set a whole day aside just for that purpose. Because He knows we need it. And He knows that we enjoy it. Yet idle time can quickly and easily devolve into something else. Something akin to laziness or sloth. But then we also have the other side of this. The American collective consciousness also idolizes busyness. In order, it seems, to justify our existence, we feel we have to be busy with something all the time. Churches have often suffered from this. People have confused busyness with evangelism. More programs, more events, more, more, more. They seem to have lost the focus of what the church really is. However, I think through some of our isolation, some of us have realized how important church really is. Yet because of our forgetfulness, we have books written to get churches out of that cycle of go, 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 do, do, do. Because busyness can be an idol. Just as much as being idle can be an idol. See what I did there? But what exactly is an idol? Well, according to Mr. Webster in his dictionary, an idol is an object of extreme devotion. An object of extreme devotion. I don't think it is a stretch at all. To call an idol a false god, because a false god is anything that takes our devotion away from our Father. Luther, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther says this, What does it mean to have a god? Or what is God? Answer, a god means that from which we are to expect all good and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. So to have a God is nothing other than trusting and believing Him with the heart. I have often said that the confidence and faith of the heart alone make both God and an idol. If your faith and trust is right, then your God is also true. On the other hand, if your trust is false and wrong, then you do not have the true God. For these two belong together, faith and God. Now I say that whatever you set your heart on and put your trust in is truly your God. End quote. Yes, I've used this quote from Luther before. It's from his explanation of the first commandment in the large catechism. And it is so right on, especially in our culture, that it is worth repeating often. Especially that line, a God means that from which we are to expect all good 
and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. Paul also would pull from other sources when trying to convey the truth to the people to whom he preached. Today, St. Paul is in the great city of Athens. Named after Athena, the goddess of wisdom, Athens was prized as a place of great discourse. And St. Paul goes to Mars Hill, the Areopagus, the heart of intellectualism, of philosophy in Greece. The very place where such great philosophers like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle had stood and had taught. The people of Athens loved ideas. They loved philosophy, loved new things to discuss and to talk about. So when Paul shows up in town, speaking of some foreign god, they were intrigued. However, in town, Paul notices the many idols, the stone deities that decorated this marvelous city. So many statues, so many devotees, so many lost souls. Well, as Paul normally does, he went and he taught in the synagogue. And then he taught in the marketplace. Soon he was gathering a crowd, even among the unbelievers. Among them were the Stoics, who believed in reason and over-emotion. And the Epicureans, who saw pleasure as the highest good. Yet Paul too was intrigued. They were intrigued with him, and he was intrigued by them. Here were a people who seemingly had a God, an idol, for any and everything. Wisdom, pleasure, war, harvest, sea, sky, entertainment, the afterlife. Yet when you really think about those things, These gods were more a reflection of the characteristics and desires of humanity. You want a good harvest? Pray to this God. You want to have fun? Follow that God. You want power? Have we got a God for you? Each of these gods had a likeness, an image, a statue, and each one had a name. Athena, Dionysus. Triton, Ares, Zeus, Hades. In 1 Corinthians, St. Paul says that sacrificing to these gods, these idols, is actually sacrificing to demons. Yet here we are. We don't call these idols by the same name. But we still bow down to them. We pay homage to them. We sacrifice to them power, money, pleasure, fertility, pride, false humility. So many gods that we bow to. And every one of them has to do with self. My wants, needs, desires. You and I 
are idol worshipers. So we always and often must return to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. You see, we have to constantly check ourselves. Yes, we will try to justify ourselves and even convince ourselves that our motives are pure. But if we are honest, we have to admit that there is always some selfishness in everything that we say or do. Anytime we sin, anytime we sin, we break the first commandment. Every single time. So Paul points these people, he points them all back to that God of the first commandment. He sees the statue to an unknown God and quoting their own poets who were actually writing about Zeus. But using them, he explains to them how His God is greater than all these other idols. This God does not need servants. He isn't dependent on the works or devotion of man. In fact, He gives man life and breath. There is only one thing, only one thing that this God wants. One thing. And it isn't sacrifices. It isn't tithes and offerings. It isn't praise. It isn't devotion. It isn't even service. He needs nothing. The God who St. Paul proclaimed and who we proclaim wants only one thing. He wants all people to repent. That's it. He wants you to repent. And repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not an altar call and done. It is the everyday life of the Christian. We live a life of repentance. It's who we are. We are people of repentance. Repentance, simply put, means to turn around. God wants you and me to turn around, to turn to Him, to turn away from the idols that we constantly chase after. For He has set a day when our risen Lord will return. And He will judge He will call those who belong to Him, who follow Him, who keep His commandments. He will call them to Himself. He will raise them from the dead. And they will live forever. However, even this repentance isn't ours. By our fallen nature, the only thing we seek is self-preservation, selfish pleasure, selfish gain, self, self, self. Tell me that isn't you, and I will call you a liar. 
Because St. John tells us, as we recited together in our confession this morning, St. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Jesus says to us today, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because I live, you also will live. My friends, God has given to you His Holy Spirit. And it is that Spirit that brings you to repentance. It is that Spirit that has and is moving you from your selfish idol worship and turning you day by day to the one true God. The God who laid down His life for yours. The God who rose from the dead, proving that what He said was true and that you too will be raised. The God who gives life and breath. The God who through one man brought about all men. And the God who through one man saved all men. The God who is risen. Is risen Snuck that one in there, didn't I? He is the God who sent His Holy Spirit. Who by that Spirit washed you in holy baptism. Who calls you through God's Word. And He is the God who comes to us in the supper. He is the God who gives to us all of these good gifts. He is the God who is unknown to the world, but is known to you. Amen. Alleluia. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Alleluia. Amen.